Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you something, people. I saw an ad that Burger King is starting something called a Whopperito. And it's it's basically, it's, it's a burrito made with a Whopper. And it just got me thinking, really, how bad burger places change their menu so people eat that crap. When I was a kid, we went to McDonald's. They had a hamburger, they had a cheeseburger, they had a fries. That's it. You picked one and then you get it. And back then it was a treat. Like in New Jersey, if we got an A on our report card, they gave us a coupon and we could go get a free burger. But now people are constantly eating crap. And so many times I get this argument with people that say, oh, it's so expensive to eat something, you know, healthy at home. Well, you know what I did the other night? Joanne was on set. I had to make dinner. So I went, I went down to Sprouts, my favorite store, got a pork chop, $1.91. Then I got some zucchini. 50 cents. Came home, cut the zucchini, put a little olive oil on it, threw it in the oven for 15 minutes. It was done. The the pork chop, I cooked in a pan at medium heat, four and a half minutes aside, it was done. That meal cost me $2.40. So people, you know me, I like to, I like to eat healthy and, and you know cheap because I'm a frugal guy, but you got to stop getting these fast food things because by the time you go, I mean, Whoppers, the, the meals are like five fifty. So just take my advice. Just look up a recipe and start eating healthy. Anyway, my, uh, my, my, my guest today was actually just eating healthy before we came on. Well, we, I don't know if it was healthy. I don't know if it was on the sandwich. But my guest is Matt Malloy. How you doing, Matt? Great, Steve. How are you? Good. Now, what, what, what was in your sandwich you were eating? Uh, just turkey and mayo. On the English muffin. See, that's but, uh, good. Yeah, well, it was just I, I was just reaching for calories at the last minute. I'm upstate New York here, and I just tend to, I tend to try to do too much in uh, the amount of time I have. Well, that's good. So now you're you're originally from New York, right? Yeah, actually, my hometown—that's where I am right now. My hometown of Hamilton, New York. It's a small college town. Colgate University's here. And now, as a kid, when did you want to know you got into acting? I know, I know, I believe your uncle was an actor, but did, did you, was that what inspired you, or how did you start your whole career in this whole path of a very? You have had a very long career, very, as I always say, an IMD rich, IMDb rich full career, which I always like when I see a bunch of listings. When did you want to know you wanted to get into acting, or how did it all start? Well, I think like most kids, you like being in plays. You know, it's exciting. Um, it 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 didn't hurt that I was watched my uncle on television in a show called Laughing when I was a kid. So, looking back, when I was in my late twenties, and I really put gone all in and it wasn't going my way i was like how the fuck did i get to this spot i mean what made me think this is so ridiculously hard this business you know it, regardless of your talent level just to uh maintain your living um uh, and i realized it was part of that idea like well yeah i just my uncle was on tv i guess i could do that there, some some very naive part of me uh launched me on that path but but fundamentally, the the I was my fate was sealed when I was like twelve. Colgate University in the seventies would have these uh, summer stock things. These actors would come up from New York, this troupe, and they do. In this case, it was Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, which I don't know if you know it or your audience, but it's it's medieval body stuff. I mean, it's old guys. Uh, creeping up a ladder to catch the young guy that's shagging his wife and then it's farted backwards off the ladder. I mean, it's real vaudeville, uh, you know, Benny Hill kind of stuff. And I was, I was, I don't know if I was 12 or 11 or something, 
but all summer long I got to be part of these really wildly, you know, fart-based uh, stories. And Which when you're, when, you're 12, when you're 12, farts are, I mean, they still are funny, but farts are hysterical. They're, they're at their prime when you're 12, but I hope if you're, if, if well-timed, they're still hilarious at 52, I have to say. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, at the end of the summer, they gave me a check for $50, and I was ruined. I was like, that was pretty much it. But then there was a point when I thought I wasn't very practical, and I was going to go to law school. My brothers both went into medicine, and I was like, well, you know, everyone's like, you're good on your feet, and you're, you're you know, you should be a lawyer. And I, and I almost went down that road, but luckily I didn't. Well, you went to SUNY, right? SUNY, SUNY Purchase let me in, yeah, to their conservatory there. Okay, so you went, so you decided, okay, I'm going to go to college for acting. Yeah. And so, how did that affect you? I mean, did you start getting a lot of stage time, or how does it work when you're at, you know, a school like that? Well, uh, it wasn't quite that simple. It was uh, I, my my father. We always had, we always ate, and there's a family around the dinner table. And my father always drilled into us the idea of education. Um, and so, it, and it, and the idea of going to school with something specific in mind. So my brother, my oldest brother, ended up going to this accelerated med program where he did, you know, college in two years, and then was like in six years was going to be have his uh, be a medical doctor. Um, my other brother went through a pharmaceutical program, so he went to a school knowing at a very early age he wanted to be a pharmacist. Um, and again, it was those schools that were tied in and bundled, and so. I think um, when I went to SUNY Purchase, uh, I, I couldn't have just gone to a regular liberal arts college. I think I would have just floundered in sort of an advanced high school atmosphere. So when I was able to get into SUNY Purchase, which was quite a big ordeal and that they only let 30 kids in, um, you are fully immersed. It's a great it's a great program, or it was. I mean, I, 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 saw, I just saw the... Uh, uh, the group that came out of there, so the program's still strong in my mind. I don't know the players there anymore, but at the time, George Morrison was the mentor at that program. At, at the group that I caught, it was a mentor system, so you had the same teacher for four years, and uh, he was fantastic. He had trained Gene Hackman, and um, anyway, we it was it was you know classes from nine a.m. to six or not 9 to 3 every day, and then rehearsals from 3 to 11. So you were just run ragged. Um, so I was very fortunate to have gotten that and gotten out of school with relatively no, you know, like $9,000 in student loans, which is unheard of. You know? Yeah, it's so funny. You know, I, we talk about how uh, colleges, the prices have changed. I went to a state school in New Jersey, and a guy I'm friends with back there sent me some pictures from my old school. Well, it's now a university. And when I went there, it was uh, thirty-two fifty a credit. It cost you like I think you could live on campus, get your schooling, and get your meal plan for like three thousand dollars a year. Now yeah. it's like twenty-three thousand a year. It probably got went up because it's a university, and we really don't notice. I mean, we all had student. I had a student loan, but my payment I think was like forty-eight dollars. You know, and now it's like right. it's like crazy. Yeah, we were room board and tuition was forty. 200 a year God. a year both semesters so <laughs> that was that was a fantastic deal so, um, so now when you graduate yeah it's I'm guessing he was 86 or 85 or 86 it's 86 okay, yeah it's that same year I graduated so you graduate so you're you're now you're 
have to go full for you know you don't have to follow your dream you got your degree so do you decide to go to new york do you decide to go to la what do you do and how do you plan what you're going to do well there's always the plan and then there's what you know get kicks you in the teeth so my plan was to uh go to the league auditions which at the time uh suny was suny purchase was part of what was called the league of theater training institutes uh, and it was Yale, it was Juilliard, it was Carnegie Mellon, it was North Carolina School of the Arts, it was, um, oh, what's the one out in California? Cal Arts, I guess. Anyway, there's seven of us, and we're all rolled into Juilliard, which is a big deal. And you get, you get, they whittle you down to 15 people, regardless of whatever, you know, even though, you know, maybe there was that 16th guy was certainly as talented, but we got down to 15. Anyway. You're given an, uh, 45 minutes, so each person has three minutes, each team has three minutes to do a thing. So you have to pair off and find scene partners. And uh, Edie Falco is an old friend of mine. We were in the program together for four years. So we do a scene, and uh, but you have to back this up because I went, I went bald when I was like 20s. And I just had this baby blonde hair that just never went made that transition to adulthood it was just baby fine hair so it starts retreating on me when i'm 19 or so and i'm wearing the wool caps and trying to tuck it under and pretending that i'm not <laughs> fucking going bald and getting the skin burned on my head because i don't think to put sunscreen I, sheets of skin coming off yeah I, I i went bald at like uh 35 and i i and i still forget like we have to put suntan lotion on our head I mean, because I usually wear hats, but you're right, you forget. Oh, it's a, your denial is so painful, <laughs> literally painful when, you're, when your son is reminding you constantly, you know, of hair. But so, now my parents, being very practical, my mom is a school teacher, my father worked with New York State Civil Service thing. They were like, well, look, Matt, for your graduation, what we'd like to do, I mean, you're a young guy, you've got a young body, young face, I used to run marathons, like, we just think that, you know, you get out ahead on this hair thing. We uh, like to, you know, if you're open to it, get you a, a, a hair piece, a toupee. And my uncle had worn one forever, and he wore he wore them twenty four seven. And again, you know, uh, was very well maintained, and his was well done. So I was like, and then, if you don't like it, don't have to, no big deal. But but it was a big deal. It was like six hundred dollars in upstate New York money, and so I went and had this thing, sat next to Route, up there in Route 20, sat in this barbershop with this guy who clearly had done a bunch for, you know, the casino-bound clientele out of Albany. And I sit down and he has color match kind of thing and says, all right, well, I'm going to have to send it away and it'll be, turns out he's sending it to Haiti, which at the time where <laughs> baby Doc Chevalier was being oustered and the whole island's on fire. It would take... He, I did it just before Christmas. He said, it would take a few months. Sure enough, it takes more than a few months. It takes right up to like four days or six days before I'm to go to this league of theater training. <laughs> or maybe ten days before. Anyway, because I know there's time to get this photo done. So I have it put on, and it's a weave. Like, it's these old school ones where they they knot it down. They tie it to the hair, that you exi existing hair, and then you have to go in and get it tightened. It's this because the hair grows out so that, you know, obviously it gets looser, so, but man alive, does it hurt, I mean, it's like, it's just like some, like you have, like, like having 50 little kids pulling at the edges of your hair, 
all the time. You try to get used to it, and you walk around, and like, all right, I guess this looks okay, but it wasn't, it was, I don't know what kind of hair it was or how it worked, but it was really way too much hair, you know, made all the cardinal sins. I've since bought a lot of toupees that are very delicate, that look like a guy that's losing his hair, but just, you know, changes the shape of your face is what you're trying to do to get away with, you know, to give a different impression. Anyway, I get this photo taken with this thing on there that looks like way, you know, like a, a dead animal sitting on my head. But I'm optimistic, and I'm thinking, look, I look young, and this, that's a lot of hair, and I, but I'm a lot of hair guy. And I take the picture, and they put it into the program. There's the 15 of us. They build the program, you know, a week before, saying who you are, what scene you're going to do. And sure enough, we start rehearsing it, and this and that, and I just can't get any. I put my hand up there, and it's just like, you know, it's like a piece of burlap, and it just completely messes with me. And I decide, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. This is not going to, I'm not comfortable with it. And so I take it off. And then I go to these league auditions as this guy with this clownish, you know, casino hair. And then, then on stage is like this guy that is, what the hell's going on there? Okay, he's, yeah, he can't use him in anything. He's sick, it's sick not right for anything. He's 19 and bald, unless you're making a movie specifically about a guy. like. So I wander through those self-conscious is all shit. Um, didn't do poorly. I, mean, I thought my performances were all, I was like, eh, they're fine. The scenes went okay. Uh, and then you go, uh, the ritual is, then you walk around this room. I will never forget this. It's a massive room. And they have printed, and by the way, Juilliard has sold seats to casting directors, new movie studios, uh, network executives, uh, agents, managers. They pay like 400 bucks a seat to come and see the new herd. You know, what are, what's, what's coming out? What's the latest? And you go around with your little pencil and paper, and you go and look and see who wants to see you. You know, and, and you make an appointment to meet them for meetings. And I start my journey, and I'd had some lead roles in the plays. I it wasn't. Uh, I had gotten feedback, and I thought it was fairly genuine. In that, often it was lit after the performances. You know, months later, where someone go, "Oh, you were really good in that." You know, that kind of right. like the, the compliment an actor can actually take. Like, "Oh, yeah, thanks." Uh, so I wasn't deluded in my talent level. I don't. I'm not great at what I do, but I, I think I can. I, I believe in telling stories and try to help doing it through who I am. But uh, I go around the walls of this place, and uh, it is very clear after about 40% of moving through this room that uh, it's going to be a slow day. I don't know how slow until I'm like three quarters of the way through, and the only one I've gotten is from a theater company in Allentown, Pennsylvania, who is looking for uh, you know, an uh, intern. Uh, to be, uh, you know, a, with a $600 stipend for the year. I, I, in fact, I got on a bus and drove, uh, I spent $70 <laughs> on a bus ticket to Allentown, Pennsylvania to meet with these people to find out that, yeah, we, we'd be sweeping up and stuff. Um, and I had run this underground theater at Purchase that had been handed off to me. And so we'd do plays on the side that were more relevant to our age because, so often in these conservatories, I'm like the, Edie and I always joke, we're the fat suit in the flask. Like, we'd always be the bartender, oh, the charming old couple. The right. So, you know, oh, 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 like, Jesus, could we get something within 10 years of our age? So we, we'd sneak around and do these plays on the side. Uh, so I said, well, what if we were, would you be open to having, 
you know, I was trying to always fancy myself a writer. Uh, like, well, we try side play. They're like, no, no, we've that that would be frowned upon. So anyway, I leave that uh, thing completely devastated. Uh, New York is. I've met New York, and one company in Allentown, Pennsylvania, wants to see me. Uh, so I was dealing blackjack in Atlantic City to get ahead of my student loans. Came to New York. Uh, that apartment with the double, triple secret sublet, the couch I was on was evicted because someone ran into a party. Someone who had sublet to someone else ran into them in L.A. said, what are you doing here? Like, uh, you're supposed to be in New York in my apartment. So I got evicted. And I went to live with my brother. Uh, my oldest brother was in re- doing his medical residency out there in Seattle. And he was always concerned I was too naive for New York. He said, come on out here. I got an extra bedroom. And uh, so I went out there and I drove a cab and got my uh, massage license. Again, trying to get any kind of skill set to survive. Um, and while out there, my uncle, who I'd only seen at weddings and funerals and didn't want to be the nephew at all, was like in, I am in acting school. You know, mom would say, your uncle asked about you. Oh, that's nice. I don't want to, you know, I just didn't want to be that nephew. Out of the blue, Henry Gibson picks up the phone one day and says, hey, listen, just was chatting you up. Robert Altman's doing this thing. Uh, it's a Kane Mutiny Court Martial. It's a closed set. You, I tell him you'd be great as a stenographer. It has a line or two. You read something back, but you'd be on the set. And you know this, and you set a line. You might even get your SAG card. And anyway, go, 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 try it. Uh, tell him about. Uh, send your picture resume. And uh, anyway, I, uh, I send my picture resume. And Scotty Bushnell, the producer. Um, calls me a couple days later and says, hey, Matt, I got your picture. That's so nice. Thank you. Um, it turns out Bob, is, that role's been cast. Um, but if you want to come up and uh, have lunch sometime and see Bob, you know, that'd be great. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Well, thank you. That's very nice of you. And I hang up. And about an hour later, the phone rings, and it's my uncle. And he says, did you did you go up there? And he wanted me to take my picture as me. And I said, no. I said, I, I, I sent it up, and she she, she explained that the, the role has been cast. He says, no. You go up there, and this is in a remote island off of Seattle, off of it's Port Townsend up there. You had to take like two ferries to get there. Okay. And I say, uh, oh boy, uh, I don't know. I just talked to her. She, he says, no, no, you go up there. You tell her you haul coffee. And I said, well, I don't, I don't, I don't even have a car. You know, I'd have to borrow my brother's just to. He dropped me off at the cab stand to drive, and I was like, I just don't. And he's like, no, you do this. And, and uh, hangs up the phone. Not, he didn't hang up, but it was like, wow, okay. Uh, and the phone rings. And this girl from uh, my massage class, Kim Chambers, calls and says, hey, no, Jill Chambers says, uh, hey, I got the day off tomorrow. Uh, what are you doing? What, uh, and I got my car. What are you, what are you, what are you doing? And I said, you want to drive to Fort, Fort Townsend? She said, sure. And she took me up there. And I show up, and I go upstairs. I say, can I... I go into the production office. It's just a small, weird space. I said, is Scotty Bushnell around? They said, uh, she's upstairs. Can I ask who's going I said, Matt Malloy. And the girl goes upstairs, and she comes back down. She looks at me, and she says, yeah. She's up there. So I go upstairs, and Scotty's just shaking her head, and she goes, Matt, what are you doing here? And I was like, I was in the neighborhood. And she kind of laughs, and she says... Uh, how well do you know your uncle? I said, 
honestly just weddings and funerals and she says because you have the same pushy aggressive attitude he does which couldn't have been further from you i couldn't have been more shy about this shit and she says hang on something may have happened go downstairs but don't uh you know the uh i'm not promising anything and now when henry told me to send the picture he said write a letter and say you've seen all of bob's movies and you're a big fan and i was i'd seen a bunch of his movies but i hadn't seen all of them and i wasn't i wasn't a uh, cinephile so it's just I uh, but he would assume that he'd written this letter that seeing I'd seen movies and a big fan that when he walks into the extras trailer where I'm reading newspaper and he says and the door opens it's like this Burl Ives guy standing there and says Mark Mark and I hear her say Matt he goes Matt and I pop up I'm like oh hi and I'm looking at her him and she realizes I don't realize I'm looking at Robert Altman <laughs> and she says Matt this is Robert Altman I'm like oh yes of course hi uh, yeah. and he looks at me he looks at my hair because I have like blondish hair what was left of it and he says huh all right I think we can do something let me see anyway they huddle up off to the side and she comes back and I got uh the night before Altman had read the guy who was going to be the stenographer had this kind of great nerdy psychiatric look psychiatrist look and uh he bumped him up to the role of the psychiatrist and freeing up the role of this uh, uh, assistant to eric bogosian and there wasn't even a speaking role but it would mean that that they wanted to contrast you know there's the whole jewish element of the 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 defender of uh jeff daniels's character i can't remember the name of the character anyway so anyway essentially i got to sit with eric bogosian and Jeff Daniels uh, for a month, and with Peter Gallagher and uh, Danny Jenkins and uh, oh, just everybody, Kevin O'Connor, Michael Murphy, just a parade of really solid, fun character actors. Um, and uh, anyway, I, and then at one point, Altman has me say something on, on a phone in, in between them just to be talking. And uh, I got my SAG card. So, you know, I, how do you go? How do you, How does it work? I have no idea. I, I happen to... Oh, here. No, it gets weirder than this. But at college, I used to do this thing where I could take a fly, and I would freeze it. And then while it's frozen, I would hold it. I could put it in a plastic bag um, for 40 seconds. While it's stunned, I would then tie a note on the back leg, like a little fortune cookie note, and, you know, thread about, you know, about four inches long or something and it would fly like a plane at the beach just going around the house you know saying <laughs> eat it Malloy's or so I told this guy that was uh, on the was a background player with me essentially uh, he was one of the judges you know it's like a nine panel military judge Frank Barhide who turns out new a new Bob very well I told him I could do this thing and he's like oh that's bullshit and finally the last day he's like I'm calling you on it I was like all right and we went to the craft service and I found a freezer and and I do the whole thing, I tie a note on and I, you have to kind of breathe it back to heat it up, and it flips over. And just as it, this fly is about to leave my hand, Robert Altman walks in with the French cinematographer, and this thing flies off into a circle around the group. Everyone's laughing, I think Bob Stone, probably, and we're all like laughing as it then proceeds to land on the zipper of the French cinematographer, and everyone pisses themselves. And I go back to driving a cab, and then two months later, Robert Altman calls and says, listen, we're doing this thing for HBO. They're trying to do the original programming. There's a part here. You're, you know, you're fun. If it doesn't work, 
you know, you can be on the crew. They're fun to have around. And I was like, wow, yes, thank you. I, I fly to New York. We're walking down the street, and he turns to me. Michael Murphy and I are walking with him. He says, listen, I don't know if you can act, but that thing you did with the fly was so fucking funny, I just had to have you around. <laughs> and that that's how you get into show business. That's your so, big break, you know, a fly. <laughs> that's it. You tie up a fly, and... Uh, I don't know. So I don't know how you get into shows. You just get very, you get very lucky, and hopefully you're, you keep your nut low enough so you can stay on the sidelines to get in the game occasionally, and uh, keep your hope, keep your hopes low, and your nut low. And sometimes you have, you know, often you have, sometimes you have some of the greatest days of your life on a film set, um, and then other times you don't. Now that show you got was that Tanner. Mm-hmm. So that was basically so you, you got you got a, a you got cast as a role in that. Yeah, I got uh, speaking about as the East Village cinematographer uh, Zeke, no Deke, Deke, Deke. What am I saying? Deke Connors. I'm terrible with all those names stuff. Yeah, Zeke. No Deke. Deke. <laughs> Wasn't he had a character? Gary Trudeau's character was Zeke. Uh, had a character on his name Zeke. That's why I get confused. So you, anyway, so so that's anyway, your that's like your first big role. That was that was my first big role. Yeah, absolutely. And we got to follow the presidential campaign around, and uh, all these people pretended, well, quite easily, Bob Dole included, to just jump in with fictitious characters. And Cynthia Nixon played the daughter. Michael Murphy was fantastic as uh, Tanner, Jack Tanner. Um, you know. And it was kind of what we, Gary was saying when we just recently did this Alpha House thing, that Tanner was uh, a more, uh, it was the terrain to explore then comedically because you get cut, people caught between uh, what, uh, where their comfort is, you know, like right now the Republicans are kind of caught with two feet, on, you know, they're getting from both sides. A moderate Republic now is Republicans in, in a tough spot. Um so that's where you can squeeze people. When you can put tension in there, that's when you get the comedy. So Michael Murphy's character was uh, a more progressive liberal that was not uh, in vogue at the time and trying to shake the tree that way. So from, from there, you start, you know, you start acting. Now, you know, do you move to L.A.? I mean, are you in New York or are you still in Seattle? No, that brought, that brought me back to New York. And then I promptly didn't work for uh, many a long time. Though uh, Hal Hart, well, I shouldn't say that's my first big role because uh, I had been in. Um, uh, well, wait, was it? No, it was because we did Hal Hartley's stuff was after that. But a bunch of there's a whole film uh, co-op sort of started downtown the uh, uh, the shooting gallery that guys that I go into school with because. Purchase had a number of conservatories, and one was the film department. So we would there was sort of a, a meshing of those two skill sets that people uh, tried to continue in New York downtown. And uh, so there's like Hal Hartley and uh, Nick Gomez, uh, Danny Liner, um, Whitney Rancic, Bob Goss. All these guys who were really making you know shoestring budget films and some of them got some attention like Edie and I were in a bunch of Hal Hartley movies um, and uh, Ted Hope I met then he was a AD uh, the first Hello? one we worked on was Unbelievable Truth 
So I did a couple of days as a you know a hitch guy, kind of a drunk who picks up uh, the main character in the beginning. And anyway, then I stuck around to do PA work on it. I just had dinner with Ted last week, and he said we were talking about that how funny it was. He says that, he's like, yeah, you're always my kind of actor. You, you acted and then you stuck around to make sure the show got done. <laughs> I married my wife is a first AD. She really makes movies, so I I am in awe of people that uh, do the nuts and bolts, uh, the real puzzle, uh, the real artistry of filmmaking is what my wife and the directors do. I always people say so. What is it? I say? Well, my wife makes movies, and I stand around by the craft service table and make fart jokes. Right. See, this fart goes back to the fart jokes. <laughs> now, now you're acting. You're doing these projects, and, and then in the company, a man comes along. Okay. Yeah. So, well, uh, it wasn't quite that fast or simple, but yeah, it does. It. it uh, so now I'm, I'm 22 when we last jumped off, or 23. Tanner 88. So wait, I was 24. Got out in '86. Yeah, I was 24. Um, and you're working. I, mean, I know you're you're in a bunch of these independent. So you, you're working, but you said it was sometimes lean. Yes, sometimes lean. Do survival jobs, building penthouse gardens, and uh, uh, hanging electric lights off a broad off Broadway for years. Uh, and then um, I meet my wife on a film down in North Carolina uh, on a TV pilot. And uh, we work on two or three things together before we get together. Um, and uh, it's she lives in L.A., so I had no interest in moving to L.A., but I did. Um, and w- with sort of this, she's from upstate New York as well, and I said, well, I, I just bought this house in Hamilton in the summer. I've saved up my landscaping money. I got a place that rents out to students during the school year. And I was like, oh, all right, so I can get out of the city in the summers. I think it'll be might might that run the clock down on that, so I won't be absolutely a pauper actor, failed actor at you know thirty eight. Um, so she moved to she was in L.A., so I moved out there and uh, promptly no no work for two years, just in a bathroom waiting for Law and Order residuals. Are you getting and an then, auditions or are you just nothing? It's just nothing. I going? mean, uh, I had. Uh, well, I'll tell you this: when I got when in the company of men hit, the agency in New York called me and said, "We're surprised to see you're not signed with us." I'm like, "Really? You don't know the difference between someone who you said you would freelance with, but sort of like, well, we'll keep you know, and someone you were fully committed to?" Uh, I was so bad. Right. <laughs> I was like, you know, that's like a guy that's that's girlfriend wins lotto. And then says, what do you mean we're not married? I've been fucking you up by the propane tanks every couple of months for years now. You're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's kind of, we are kind of married. I got mad about that stuff. Um, yeah, but uh, so I go out to L.A. and get no work. And then um, I was like, cast. Uh, I mean, really, in a bathrobe, like, well, I can't do this. I, I have too much energy uh, to sit around, you know, chewing my own neck. So I said, I got to either, I don't know, go teach history, figure out something. And uh, and Ted Hope had uh, introduced me to Neil LeBute. Uh, he wanted us to do a short film a year or so before that. And we had spoken. And uh, and then Neil had approached me with that script. Uh, anyway, that's a whole other story. But, yeah, so on the way back, 
I'm leaving LA saying, well, I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not the guy you fell in love with because I, I, I'm certainly that guy in a bathrobe on your couch, which is not what you wanted. And uh, I was like, well, let me see if I can get something going in New York. And on the way, I shot in the company man in a magical pocket of time. And for 10 days and $24,000, $5,000 of which I borrowed from my brothers to physically buy film so that we'd have something in the camera while we were shooting. So we weren't just playing make believe. Right. We got that movie, and um, and then it ended up on you know Siskel and Ebert's top ten list, and you know uh, a bunch of a bunch of New York Times and all these people really uh, respected the movie. And so then I was the guy that was I think I had to get entered into the lexicon, sort of like the the cast directors, either whether they liked the movie or not or saw it or not. I feel like they had to say, oh, the the guy from the company meant okay, so. Uh, having just come out of absolute actor poverty, like just so hungry to put your pants on and leave the house, I said and pretty much continue to say yes to pretty much everything. And so you'll see, so like election came up and they said, well, it's a small thing. And it's like two lines. I'm like, I don't care. I read the script. I fell out of my chair. There's a moment in the beginning of that movie where, I don't know if you remember, they're doing the montage in the beginning, but... They're taking you through the whole thing about her, you know, this, and then and they say, oh, and by the way, her pussy is so wet. And it was in the script, and it stayed in the movie, to their credit. That's why that movie's as great as it is. Well, it's funny. It's, it's funny. It's funny. Because... It's the greatest social satire I've ever... Oh. Well, Citizen Ruth is the best. Well, well, that's, their, that's their other movie. Well, what's, that funny, is, what's funny that about... That is close to perfect movie. Yeah, what's funny about Election is... Uh, my girlfriend hadn't seen it, and it was, God, this was like a year and a half ago or two years ago. She never saw it. And it was one of those things where it was a Saturday night, and we were like, what do you want to watch? And there's nothing on TV because, you know, like 48 hours, and I love those shows, those crime things, because I always yeah. say, I always sit there and I go, and, and Josh Mackles has been on my show, so I tweet him a lot. Like, you know you need to break up with someone if you look at him and say, I might end up on Dateline. You know, just stuff like that. <laughs> like, you watch these things, and they're fascinating. But we were sitting there one Saturday night. And we have, you know, stars and Encore. And we didn't really see any movies. And I said, have you ever seen... And I was flipping around on demand on, like, stars or Encore. And I said, do you ever see Election? And she goes, no. And I go, oh, my God, it is so funny. And I hadn't seen it in, God, years. And you're right, man. It's such a, and it's such a funny, funny movie. And just, I mean, Matthew Broderick's perfect in that role. He is. He's so good in that. We talk about that. I, uh, I... I... I, I, that's people say what's the best movie I say well what's the best part of the best movie the best movie I've been in I think I mean I've been very very good movies so I probably step on toes to say this but that to me in terms of its wide appeal and its subversive uh, text subtext that that it's just social satire it's the great blending of what you want to do with uh, what I want to be a part of and they just got it pitch perfect. And Matthew, there's a scene there when that bee stings him in the yeah. backyard. That fall from grace is so... And he wakes up and he's fogged in his own car in front of his house and pisses on the tree. Ah, oh, he's just so good. <laughs> he has to give himself that splash bath of his nads. Oh, my God. It's just... he's You know, Matthew Broderick's, no one's really gotten how how funny I mean he's always you know he's always great on screen but I mean he's even funnier in person so you've got to capture just how 
funny he can be. Now when, that that came close. When you were in the comp- in the uh, in the company, man, did you guys when you were making it? Did you think it was going to get all this buzz? Because it's, it's very low budget, and and it wasn't. I mean, as I've talked to people, independent movies have changed a lot. I mean, let's get real. That was an independent. Now independents have these huge budgets, and all the film festivals have changed. You know, they take big stars connected to a lower budget. But when you right. guys were making that, did you sit there and think, this is going to start getting me a lot of work? Because it, 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 it changed your career. Well, it definitely did. And it uh, here's the, we'd sit, we, the schedule was based on when Neil's neighbors were going on their vacation and their unair conditioned house was available to Stacy Aird and I to sleep in, which meant she just kind of rolled around in sweaty sheets. And we'd get up and invariably find ourselves at the, the kitchen table uh, having you know vague anxiety attacks because we treat it like a play and we, and we don't know as it's going uh, along you get panicked and it's also because you get nervous because you are you know you're doing something important so you get you know the stakes are even higher and I remember the three of us I remember all of us everyone's we're all having our own little crisis about you know of the, our performance and I, I was like listen I think this is all we can do is I can tell you honestly Aaron, Stacy, you guys are really great at what you're doing. And they're like, all right. And they're like, they, they could c- confirm the other two. Like, yeah. So, I mean, that movie, Stacy Edwards makes that movie. I mean, Aaron, Aaron and I do good jobs, very good jobs. Like, But if, without her selling that, I mean, the first question at film festivals is, is she deaf? I mean, that when, if, when you put that vulnerability and that strength and that, that uh, quiet observation uh, to film, like she did, ten days in a row. She postponed her wedding. Wow! Do that. Um, that's when. So yeah, we were. I was very excited. And that, here's the thing: I remember coming back, and uh, I was with my friend Mike Shelley's pool party. And his mom, Molly McCarthy, is a manager, and she said, "So, Maz, what's going on? How was LA?" I said, "Oh, it was awful." I, I was leaving the business. I said, but here's the good thing. I did this film, and if this doesn't get attention, if this doesn't change something for me, then I can walk away from this because I can't do it. I can't be a part of – I'm not going to get a better shot, out of, you know. And uh, unfortunately, it turns out to be true. Um, that uh, That's the biggest role I've had in a film since then. But it was uh, it was good. It was it was It was, you know – so I'm so actually when I go to do election and it's in Omaha and uh, they the school says hey you know we asked actors to come and talk to the students and I'm always I'm always so reluctant to because I want to be honest with them actor to actor but I don't want to crush uh, I don't want to squelch optimism um, because Jesus you you need it. Um, you don't have a deluded goal in this world. You don't have a dream. Um, so, uh, but I would be like, look, I don't know what to tell these guys that uh, you know to go go make a, a twenty-four thousand dollar film that ends up on Siskel Niebert's list and Sony Pictures goes crazy promoting it around the world, and 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 then you know you can come and have three lines in a movie in Omaha. I mean, like, I don't know, I don't know what practically to tell kids. Uh, I think theater, doing theater is, I, I hope there's a huge renaissance of community theater that goes on when the, when people finally wake up to, you know, the destructive nature of television. 
and the people can be in plays because I think that that high of coming together and doing a live theater is, is delicious. Pursuing it as a, a way to make a living, uh, the in terms of probability and uh, the you know satisfaction with your life in terms of what the energy you have and and how how to be able to use that every day, that's that's a challenge that. Uh, even I've had ridiculous luck and success in this business. Um, and I haven't had to have a real job outside of acting in 20 years from thanks to my forebears who created the SAG residual structure. Um, but without that, I don't know. I, I don't know how in good conscience I can really encourage kids to pursue it. But then again, what is it? Betty Davis said, someone said, oh, I'm thinking of becoming an actress. She said, look, look if you have to think about it, the answer is no, you know. Um, so it does. It, it does come from a sort of a drive that uh, is inexplicable. Now, now through this your career, I mean, because you you go back and forth between TV and movies. Have you still gotten to be on stage, or is it? Because I know a lot of people. It's just they want to do it, but as you said, you want you have to make your living, and stage doesn't pay that well. And in LA, stage doesn't really pay at all. Um, so. Have you gone back to stage at all through these years? Because you've constantly been working for 20 years. Have you done any stage productions? Uh, no, I did one community thing at the last minute uh, here in Hamilton a couple of years ago. But it, but no, I, I, if occasionally I'll get a call from my agent, um, my friend Cammy Hickman's uh, uh, casting director with uh, Lincoln Center, and they'll... Uh, she'll think of me for some stuff that's coming up. Uh, sometimes there was like the Nixon uh, uh, play they did uh, a couple of years ago, and you know it's it's one of those things. Can you fly in and audition? And uh, you know it's a smaller role, or it might be two small roles that you get to you know play around with. But at the end of the day, the math is wait, okay, you know X amount on the airplane bet get the role, okay, find an apartment, what's the thing? Like, all right, so I'd be losing how much a month to be away from my wife and dog? You know, I'd be three, you know, I'd be losing. It truly comes down to lost. It's how much are you willing to lose to do it? Now, you had said, you know, some of the, you know, election is one of your favorite projects. What are some of your other favorite projects? Because you've worked on a lot of good TV shows, you know, and you, you know, you recurred on Six Feet Under. You've been in a bunch of different movies. What are some of the projects that you sit there and have thought are, you know, highlights of you that you sit there and go, wow, this was a great time or this was a role that I'm really glad I booked, even if it was a small guest star. I mean, like as you said, election, you were just so happy because you were involved in such this amazing project yeah. that which still holds up if you still watch it it's still relevant and it still makes you laugh your ass off because you know some comedies you watch and if someone young watches it they don't get it but everyone understands that pain in the ass high school student i mean it's yeah. something that's across well, it's, the board it's such a great indictment of our democratic process because it's such a jaded event and we all know how selfish and opportunistic each person is running for uh, high school, it's all just to get on the resume to get to college. I mean, truly, it's a, and talk about it being a parallel to a puppet government where you really have no influence. You know, I mean, I was student council president. I, I was that guy. I mean, I was like, I'm going to, I actually, <laughs> there's sort of a legend of, uh, I lobbied very hard for uh, bathroom doors to be put on the guys' stalls. The women uh, had them, and we did not. And, uh, oh, I treated it like, uh, I don't know, like we were, it was like this, 
Civil Rights Act of 65. Well, that's a big thing, though, guy, guys on the... I remember there was a bar down the Jersey Shore that didn't... that stalls didn't have a door. And you'd walk yeah. in, and there'd be a guy sitting there, which I don't know why. It's a crazy, packed, dive, beachside bar, and he's, you know, doing his business, and you just see him, like, looking at you. And you'd be like, oh. put a door on that shit. Yeah, it's... Well, I guess... And, and well, to, this will give, tell you why there wasn't there. Eventually, we did prevail... You know, whereas the the Constitution guarantees a right to privacy, whereas public restrooms are, you know, women are given. Actually, at one point it went to the, I actually considered uh, uh, kidnapping the girls' doors and not leaving the premises with them. I would put them in the basement was my plan so that I would legally have never, if nothing was stolen, it never left public ground. So I would have just hid them in the basement somewhere behind something and then... Uh, you know, with a note cut out from the newspaper. That was the that was our that was our uh, Patty Hearst uh, extreme. If it had to come to that, <laughs> but um, well, yeah. But well, I'll t- I'll tell you why. Because uh, the week after the doors go up, uh, you know, two two older guys and go like, hey, 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 man, it's great. You know, and I got that extra second to spark a fatty. You know, to to blow the smoke out from uh, smoking pot or a cigarette or whatever. That's <laughs> I think that's why they. They uh, took them off in the first place. <laughs> so now, that's so funny. Oops. So, so, Unintended consequence. I know. So now, so now, yeah, so what, so some of the roles that you've really cherished and enjoyed and you look oh, back and oh, you yeah, go, this is this is great. Well, here here's the thing across the board, without a doubt, and it hits so odd that uh, as a film actor or a television actor that I would say this, but uh, it's in the, uh, it's uh, This American Life. It's the radio pieces I've done on uh, This American Life that I'm probably most proud of. I think that, that is the purest form of storytelling, and uh, uh, Iris had me do five or six pieces. Now, often with very little time, you know, you get them on a Tuesday at five, and they're going to record you Wednesday at ten a.m. So there's pieces out there that I catch on the radio sometimes. I don't remember them. I honestly like listen to them. Like, oh wow, oh yeah, you know, it's like auditions. You know, I devour five-page scene, memorize a get-off book, go in, crush it get it most likely don't get it uh and you know a year and a half later i can be watching something and be like oh this is familiar oh right i knew i auditioned for this scene so there there's sort of a weird way that actors memory works but uh that is up front the, the stuff i'm most proud of in terms of being part of an actor and part of a storytelling situation but what, what made it what, what made it so good well, it's just the purity of their, the quality of their pieces, the pacing, um, the respect to the audience's intelligence, and the rich, uh, gray complexity of life. You know, that's that's just there's an honesty in uh, Iris stuff across the board that is um, it just it's just why why I wanted to be a part of that what what makes me proud because there's a lot to be things to be ashamed of in terms of uh, acting um and that is just that doesn't grip into any of them it's not there's it just doesn't you can't fault prey to any of that stuff through his through this material he finds in fact my wife found one of them and sent and and we suggested he uh the loser is about a kid who could find objects it was sort of a pull like a gravitational pull of an object where it sits and he lost his kid his parents at the beach they had gone out for a swim and and kind of pulled away it's just i don't know there's something 
there's just like there's poetry in it just real grounded honest america like it's it's like what i think of america like i used to hitchhike a lot when i was in high school and this american life feels like the stories i hear when i would hitchhike because there's sort of a an anonymity there's sort of confessional there's sort of an understanding that yeah you're gonna listen uh, you're i'm giving you a ride you know uh and i that this american life feels like that and um, I don't know. I just, I just love that that I'm alive at a time when that is out there, and and ridiculously popular too. So it's so affirming to me that people want that. Do you know the show? I, I I've heard of it. I should start listening to it. To be honest, I... he's so good. Yeah, you're you're. And they have a streaming thing where they can look at me plugging his show on your show. But anyway, they'll stream. You can just. Click on This American Life. It's free. Hit a live stream and it will jump into wherever it's streaming that particular show. Or you can go to their archives and listen to them individually for free. I should check it out because I always I always like to find new stuff. It's one thing is, you know, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff like that. I just like it like anything. You know, it's like you want to I mean, you want to support some friends. You want to listen to their shows. But I, I get I get sort of uh, if if their interview style isn't strong enough, you get a little bit bored. And and the thing like this show sounds like something that it's just just it's just good listening. Yeah. Yeah, it's really well thought out and layered, and it gives musical interludes in between to let things kind of sit. And a bunch of really talented storytellers have spun out of there into their own shows. So. How did they um, find you for that? That was through. Um, the producer of this of uh, uh, Stephen Pevner, who was actually Neil Labute's agent, who somehow became the producer of *In the Company of Men* after it went after we had finished shooting it. Anyway, he had referred me. Uh, he had mentioned me to. Uh, I don't know. Ira loved. Ira loved *In the Company of Men*. That's basically what happened, um, and then. Uh, someone fell out at the last minute to read a David Sedaris piece, so I read this Christmas special thing. But anyway, now do do you ever do you ever sit there and uh, you know we were talking about the projects you've been in, but do you ever sit there and just feel blessed for some of the people that you've been in, even if it's a small oh, yeah. part? You know, like you were in Togetherness, you know, with the Duplass brother. I mean, things like that. You must sit there and really feel as an actor that you're getting called for this. So people must know that you have the chops because. You know, these a lot of these actors, these smaller directors and writers and stuff like that, they they have a certain type of person they're looking. That must make you feel great as an actor that you get called for these cool these cool parts. It does. That in that case, uh, I, I I know them through my life as well, and they're just really good guys to boot. That's it's a double whammy that like stuff like that that uh, uh, the that are. They're just good guys to begin with, period. And then they have a creative process that's open and, uh, you know, specific. They're looking for something, but they're willing to play. They're very much to uh, let let it a little unfold. Yeah. No, I'm I am ridiculously blessed. I mean, it's um, it's it is sometimes. I have my parents recently were moving. I moved them. Closer to me in California, you know, people neighbors would always say, "So your son, what's what's he been in?" And you know, that same thing. They kind of jam up, and so they asked me to print out the IMDb thing because they're not computer savvy. 
And I remember printing it out, and I was like, Jesus, this thing does go on. Right. Uh, you know, I just, I've chipped away at it, uh, you know, in, in, for years. And been, yeah, I mean, you look at some, like, uh, some of the directors I've been fortunate enough to work with. Uh, I, mean, I was in a Spielberg movie. I mean, that's fun. I mean, he's as, he's as enthusiastic as any kid that just got their Super 8 camera you know, and is in, you know, ninth grade. I mean, just, he was, and he loves actors. It's fun being around directors that love actors. So some actors, some directors just tolerate actors, and I get that too. There's some actors that I would just tolerate if right. I was a director, you know? <laughs> That's the best you can do. But uh, but when there's just a, a, a love for actors that they like to be around and they get a kick out of, Spielberg is definitely in that camp, and so that's fun. And he's showing me, you know, the three by five cards and uh, all the things that he, you know, ideas that he's going to try to capture that day. And fast, boy, he shoots fast, as fast as anyone I've ever been on a film set with. Now, now, since you've had so many credits, I always like to ask my guests this: that have a ton of credits, have you been killed in a movie? Oh, let's see. I did. I got blown up in the first thing I met Cass on. Uh, my wife, uh, golden years. I was like the, you know, the scientific sidekick who the, the mad scientist goes too far and, you know, blows up the lab. And I got to say, um, ain't that something about, I have to say who blew it up. And then I'm, I'm basically the hazmat team comes in like, what happened? I'm like, he did it. Uh, wait, so Roger, confirm this. he, your Dr. Redding blew up the lab. <laughs> Ain't that a bitch? I got to say on television. In the whole town, you know, in upstate New York. Like, you got to say, Ain't that a bitch on television, on, you know, on ABC News. That was, that was my first death line. I'm trying to think. When else have I died? Uh, oh, I got blown up in a, <laughs> in a cowboy movie. Uh, sort of. Kind of died. I, don't think, I didn't get any last lines. But I, I almost literally died making the movie, so I think it was kind of a draw on that one. Now, now through your career, you know, yeah. you said you were going bald when you were younger. Did yeah. that help you get? I mean, you know, you, people would think it would hurt roles, but that helped you get roles. I mean, because now you know, and I'm bald, and it's like you probably you play the doctor, you play different roles. But when you were younger, did did you think it made you stand out a little more and got you some roles that you wouldn't have gotten? I don't know about that so much, but I do know that in my 30s, well, also in The Company Man, my, I, I remember uh, Jay Novak, who was a teacher at Purchase and a, a, a film critic uh, for the Village Voice, He, I did a tutorial in screenwriting with him, and he said to me, he's like, he'd see me in a play, he said, you're very good. He said, you, you'll, you will, you'll work more when your face and your body Match, your face and your hair match up. You know, you'll you'll. He says you're going to work more and more as you get older. And I did take some solace in that, and I think he's right. I don't know that. I mean, I always. I, what I did lean on was Robert Duvall, one of my favorites. Um, he lost his hair at the same age, and he said, "Oh, it's best thing ever. I got that way. I had I had any hair I wanted for any role, yeah. which is nice once you're Robert Duvall early and you hit like that, because then the studio will glue hair up there. But if you're not, then you're running around, and I've I have, I have at least sixteen thousand dollars into toupees that uh you know and then trying to guess which is the right one to wear and to get in there and like well we wanted we wanted you and like oh right shit so you feel a little bit 
he can run around feeling like a, an idiot with a box of dead protein trying to get a, you know. Where do you where do you food. keep your toupees? Uh, well, that's interesting. We just drag them across in our Prius for the summer, just in <laughs> case I get a call to audition and I, I got to look like something other than you know nervous white victim who tells the judge that I was just hit on the head. That hurt. <laughs> So, so what else? What's coming up? Any, any, any anything coming up for you right now? Mm, I did a, uh, I had a small scene with uh, Steve Carell in uh, this movie about Bobby Riggs, uh, Battle of the Sexes, with Emma Stone. They play uh, the tennis, you know, Billie Jean and Bobby Riggs, uh, with the directors from um, Little Miss Sunshine, okay. Jonathan and Valerie. Uh, let's see. Mm, not not a whole lot to be honest. I, I it was not the it was not a banner year. But you constantly work, and that's always good because you know, and everyone knows you're out there. I mean, it must be just great to sit there and you know, you know, people know you. So it's not like you're not going to get work. You know, I think you're there. I do say that to myself, and then of course, and then there's the point where you don't, <laughs> and that that's part of the that's part of the 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 ride and. You know, there's a lot of great character actors that, at a certain point, eh, the phone just doesn't ring anymore. So you just and, gonna, that's, oh, go and that's how it, that's how it is. And then and you can uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to write myself into it. I have a couple of ideas that I that I think is probably the best way for me to uh, bounce back in. I I just had this great run with uh, Alpha House on Amazon, and uh, I'm excited by what they do over there and their openness to. Uh, trying stuff so there's a, I, have, I have an idea actually I'm very excited about I'm, I'm underplaying this that I want to present to and them I, and uh, and fingers crossed knock on wood that was me knocking on wood we'll see and you're in a perfect place now you're you're up in upstate New York so you can take some time and write you know you'd think that but damn it these days you, it, people are always saying in LA what do you do in that small town all day I'm like about a hundred million times more things than than you do in LA I, I hate to break this to you uh, but uh, well back to wait one back to that question about on screen thing uh, there's a movie um, uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous and another movie Morning Glory uh, that I that was given roles that were really fun and uh, the latter being directed by Roger Michelle who I think is one of the finer directors out there um, you may know him from Notting Hill and uh, we did Changing Lanes and Morning Glory he's British he direct, but he also did these independent films uh, Mother okay uh, and what's the other one Oh, they're great. He used he, he 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 used Daniel Craig before Daniel Craig became, you know, a household name. They're, cool. they're fantastic. He's a fantastic director, and I'm I'm ashamed to know my I'm jamming on the names of these. Don't worry about it. We films. we we got a wrap. Um, oh, it's just a, now what? Uh, what? Where can people get in touch with you? Do you tweet? Do you do any of that good stuff? You know, I I did get a tweet thing. Um, I don't even know what it is. When I did Alpha House, I tried to be more, um, you know, whatever that is. Well, we'll find it. Well, anyway, so I want to thank you for coming on. People follow, just go IMDB and check them out, okay? And we'll find out his Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. Also, my website, coopertalk.net. 
I have over 520 episodes up there. Uh, email me, Cooper, at coopertalk.net. iTunes, Stitchers, the same thing. Instagram, I'm coopertalk1. Um, words with friends, I'll play you. I'm coopertalk1. I'm pretty good at it, so do it. So yeah, so check out Matt Malloy. Check out his IMDb. Go see his past movies. Follow me on Twitter. I love to tweet, especially down to political seasons. And uh, that's about it. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. And I will talk to you guys next week.